it's a busy season, but I want to invite you. This is a time that we gather this morning, Sunday morning, to worship Jesus. And so I want you to just pause for this hour or so that we have left together this morning. Slow down. Focus on this time that we have together, gathered as the people of God, to focus on the Word of God and the glorious gospel of Jesus. We're going to make much of Jesus this morning. We're going to talk a lot about Jesus. There's nothing else more important in the world. We fail to understand the weight of the shepherd's actions here if we do not recall what, it, what has just occurred. And so I want to take us back into the story. We picked up the story kind of in the, in the middle of it. If you remember last week, what happened? Angels came, right? An angel came to the shepherds proclaiming or announcing good news, and then the heavens ripped open, and the heavenly realm began to sing the praises of God. That's what's going on. That is why these, these shepherds are running now with haste to find who? Jesus to find the Savior. In Luke 2.10, an angel came to them and said, Fear not, for behold, this is important, I bring you this, good news. Good news. The original word in Greek is pronounced this way, ewangelion. I bring you ewangelion. Now, none of you are going to remember that after you leave today. But it's important that we focus on this word because this word was vastly important in the context, the historical context that we find ourselves in the Roman Empire. We translate this word, ewangelion, as good news or gospel. Gospel. Ironically, early Christians, like Luke here, this is Luke's account of the gospel, utilize this word in particular to summarize the message of Jesus. When we talk about Jesus, we use good news or gospel. And it's, it's ironic because at this time, the achievements, right, we're in Rome, the achievements of Caesar Augustus in Rome, who was hailed at the time as the divine of his father, Julius Caesar. Notice I use the word divine. So this man is viewed as God. So, Caesar Augustus would have been the son of God in the eyes of the Roman Empire. And they would pronounce in the empire any sort of the achievements of Caesar Augustus as good news or gospel. Do you see the irony now of Luke using this same word to say, I have good news. The angels proclaiming, Good news. The angels appear to the shepherds announcing, I will put this word in front, true gospel. Truly good news. They say this, I bring you good news of great joy. What's the good news? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, here it is, who is Christ the Lord. Not another earthly conqueror, but a Messiah who comes to put to rest the sins of the world and establish his rule for eternity. What do the shepherds do when they receive this good news? But they respond in faithful haste or urgently 
to go to this gospel, this good news, to go to Jesus. The famed Christian hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful, was, was originally penned in Latin, titled Adeste Fidelis, meaning Come You Faithful Ones. The song is attributed to John Francis Wade, but its origins are actually cloaked in mystery. What is not a mystery, though, is this, is that the, the hymn's connection to our passage this morning, I'm going to read through the lyrics to you. It goes like this, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels, O come, let us adore him, O come, let us adore him, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Verse 2, you might not recognize. It's usually not sang. We usually skip to sing choirs of angels, but look how beautiful the lyrics are in verse 2. God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God, begotten, not created. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation, sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Beautiful. The faithful shepherds are drawn by what they have heard about the Savior Lord Jesus Christ, which brings us to a main idea, a guiding idea for our passage this morning. The main idea is this. The shepherds respond in faith or trust of what they've heard from the angels, what they've heard announced or proclaimed by these heavenly messengers. Paul summarizes saving faith in this way. In Romans chapter 10, he says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. These, these shepherds have heard the word of Christ from none other than the, the, the revelatory work of God through these heavenly messengers First in spoken words, and then, like I've said, when, when the heavens open up a song of praise glorifying God, and immediately what happens? They went from hearing the good news to then running, right, acting out and finding Jesus. We want to go find this baby, this Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds me of, of the opening lyric, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels. Verses 15 to 16 say this, when the angels went away from them into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Notice that the passage highlights the urgency at which these men went seeking the Lord once they heard the good news of Jesus. They heard the gospel and then they urgently sought the Lord Jesus Christ. It's likely they're out in the fields. They had to cover some distance to get to town. Maybe looking from this place or this place trying to find this infant. Who knows what was to, to come of the sheep that they were shepherding? Who kept an eye on them? Doesn't really matter. The detail's not there. That's all we know is that they left and went to find who? Jesus. The gospel had come upon them, and they couldn't wait to meet the Messiah. I want that kind of excitement every time I approach Jesus. Their urgency reminds me of a, of a latter teaching of Jesus he says this in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, 
which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He left everything behind. His whole life, his life's trajectory is set on what? Pursuing the kingdom of heaven, pursuing Jesus. These faithful ones received the message of salvation with joy and then left everything in haste to seek out the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus was worth it to them, which invites us to this question. This is a question that's going to guide each one of our points this morning. Is the treasure of Jesus worth it? Is the treasure of the person of Jesus, the person and work of Jesus worth it? This is the question that begs to be asked of us. Do you treasure Christ in your life? Regardless of of the circumstances that you're in, suffering and pain or the opposite of that, success and comfort, do you treasure Jesus above all things? Is the treasure of gaining Jesus enough for you? Is he worth leaving everything behind? This is the consistent challenge of Jesus toward his followers all throughout his ministry. And the same challenge or question confronts us today. Is Jesus enough for you? Do you treasure him? Let's see what happens to Mary when she hears this good news about her son Jesus. Luke 2, 17 to 19. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Notice this. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, right? Taking them in, soaking them in. Mary held to the treasure of the good news that the shepherds came proclaiming. What they heard from the angel compelled them to urgently seek Jesus and confess the truth that they received from God. And the text here notes that that Mary treasured and pondered these things in her own heart. The question then kind of reflects back to us. Do, Do you respond in the same way to the message of Jesus? Is he enough for you? I want to say this. There are a number of reasons that he is worth it. He's worth pursuing. He's worth pondering in your heart. And maybe this morning you come and your faith is hanging on by a thread. You need encouragement to hold fast to Jesus. My hope and prayer this week as I've poured over this passage and thought about this hymn that we sang this morning is that someone in here would be encouraged that they would find hope in this message of who Jesus is, that Jesus is worth pursuing, that he's worth running after, he's worth treasuring in your heart. I want to be very clear. The treasure of Jesus is enough. He's worth it. To leave behind whatever you're holding, whatever you're holding on to, whatever's keeping you back to, to, to run, to seek after Jesus, to continue with Jesus all of your days. And here's why we can profess, yes, the treasure of Jesus is worth it. Here's a number of reasons why. Number one, because Jesus is God of God, begotten, not made. Jesus is God of God, begotten, not made. The second verse of our hymn gives us this truth. God of God, and the last line of that second verse says, very God begotten, not created. Is the treasure of Jesus worth it? Yes. Why? Because he's God. He's God in the flesh. And we can conclude this truth from Scripture. 
I think John's, uh, the Apostle John, his gospel and his work in Revelation, his, his revelatory work gives us some insight into the truths that we can hold fast to that convince us that Jesus is worth it, that Jesus is worth pursuing. John 1, 1 to 3 says this, in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Did you hear that? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John's retelling, he's he's retelling the creation story. He's given us insight into what all occurred. He's given us more detail. He grants us insight into who was present before during and after the creation of all things. You see, if we think back, the the creation account in in Genesis 1 conveys this. I say this in the Old Testament. When we see Jesus in the Old Testament, we see him in types and shadows. Genesis 1 conveyed this in types and shadows when the text states that humanity was made, it says in 126, in our, notice the plural word there, our image and likeness. The Trinity here hinted at from the outset of Scripture. Now, in John's Gospel, retelling the creation account, fully understood and realized in the coming of the Son of God, the begotten of the Lord, Jesus. John grants us a a clear understanding of the plural, our, that's used in Genesis 1.26 by giving us the truth that the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Moreover, uh, chapter 3 comes to mind. John chapter 3 comes to mind. Bringing forth this word begotten that we use. That's actually the, the King James translation. In the ESV, it says it this way, John three sixteen to 18, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. A lot of us memorize this verse, probably many of us memorize this verse a little bit differently. We put another word in there, gave his only what? Begotten son. Begotten means unique. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here's a a clear pronouncement of the gospel. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Did you hear that? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now the word begotten here is not inferring that Jezus is a created being. He's eternal. The scriptures say this, he was and is and is to come. Eternal. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty. Jesus is God of God, begotten, not made. The the Greek word used here for this is a a word pronounced this way, monogenes. Monogenes or unique. That's where we get this word begotten, unique, one of a kind. He is the divine son of God, co-eternal. This is unlike us. But in Christ, we are, we say this each week, we're sons and daughters, aren't we? 
Through faith in Jesus, we're the sons and daughters of God. We can call God our Father. Yes, but we are adopted sons and daughters, aren't we? We're adopted into the family of God. Now, we are given all of the rights and privileges of God's unique son. This is beautiful. That's the beauty of the gospel. We're given all those rights and privileges, but we are not uniquely divine as Jesus is. Only he is divine. Therefore, Jesus is the treasure that is worth it because in him we meet God face to face. And we're adopted into the family of God. Number two, Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is the Word made flesh. I'm in a Greek mood this morning. I've got some Greek words for you. The, the word that John uses in the original language is pronounced logos or logos. What does that sound like? Like a logo, right? What's a logo? It's a representative of something, isn't it? Jesus is the exact representation of God. You see, words communicate our thoughts. They make them known. Jesus makes God known by coming in the flesh and taking on human likeness in all ways except for a sin nature. Jesus doesn't have a sin nature because the seed of sin was broken in the conception of Jesus. He was born by the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary, meaning this, he's fully God and fully man. John 1:14 and the word became flesh and dwelt that word dwelt there means tabernacled or we think we can think of tent tabernacled dwelt among us lived with us I'm not a huge fan of the message bible but one thing that I like is when Eugene Peterson paraphrases this section he's he says Jesus took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood Isn't that cool? He dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. Notice these attributes. Full of what? Grace and truth. This question always comes to mind as I read through John's gospel. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He's he's the logos of God. When we drive down the highway, there, there's billboards and signs, right, on the road. And their purpose is to, is to communicate the businesses nearby. And oftentimes, they, they don't necessarily put the full name up there. They'll have a logo out there, right? Here, here's a logo, a recognizable logo. It's, it's a golden M, kind of two arches. What do you think of? Call it out. McDonald's, right? I'm thinking about hot, salty fries. Anybody with me? You know, fresh, fried, terrible for your heart, French fries. Like, the, I don't know what they have those things laced with, but they're amazing. Yeah, don't ketchup. Yes. The ketchup's got to be cold, though. I like the ketchup cold with the hot fries. Just want to make sure we got that detail. They tell you what's there. When we think of Jesus, this should come to our minds. He is God, and as the word said here, full of grace and truth. He is the treasure to run with haste towards and to grab hold of, just as the shepherds ran immediately to find Jesus. 
sharing, it says in the text, the sayings that were announced to them by the angelic host. They were announcing what they heard from heaven. Number three, is the treasure of Jesus worth it? Yes, because he is the light of the world. I love this title of Jesus. He's the light of the world. Not only is he God of God and the word made flesh, he's also the light of the world. This is what happened. The willful sin of humanity has brought darkness and distortion to the original created purpose of the world and for humanity. But God has shown the great light of Jesus in the dark world. It's the beauty of Christmas when we light Christmas lights everywhere. Right in this dark winter season that we're in. To light things up, it reminds us of Jesus as the light of the world. He is the redeemer and savior, not only of humanity, but of the whole creation. Jesus is making all things new. John 1, 4-5 says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Hear this, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus has inaugurated, he has begun, right, a new creation in his living. That's what I want to focus on. In his living, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus because we we often focus our understanding of Jesus on the atonement and the bloody cross. We stay fixed on that. And it's important because On the cross, Jesus dealt with God's judgment of sin, and I'm thankful for it. That's why when we gather in the spring, around the Easter season, we come together for Good Friday to remember what's good about it, that Jesus dealt with our sin, and that it's proven on the cross. The cross is important, but don't miss the truth. The truth that Jesus has resurrected from the dead. Jesus is alive. And in the dark shadow of the cross, the light of life has shone. Because in the dawn hours of the morning, after Jesus' crucifixion, his death, and he went into the tomb and they rolled this big old stone in front of his tomb... And three days later, as the women were approaching the tomb of Jesus, they found it empty. They found it empty. The light is shown in Jesus. And the resurrection is the hope of life and light. This is the hope that the dark world as it sits is not the end of the story. But, but the true consummation of the kingdom is found in the glorious second coming of Jesus. He's coming back. The light of the world who will return in judgment to usher in the final resurrection and to fully establish this, new heavens and new earth. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. This is why he is a treasure. He's our treasure to run after. Number four, Jesus is praised in the heavens. 
Jesus is praised in the heavens. If the heavens treasure Jesus and praise him, shouldn't we? This is conveyed in in verse 3 of our hymn, where we sing, sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. When the angels visited and announced the, the gospel to the shepherds in the field, again, the heavens ripped open in the praise of the coming of Jesus, our Savior, the treasure of God. John had a, a revelation from the Lord towards the end of his life. He had a vision from Jesus that he, he was able to look into the heavenly realm, and he saw this in Revelation 5, 11 to 12. This is what he saw. It says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of what? Many angels. The voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That's a lot. Saying with a loud voice, singing together, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus is praised in the heavens. Is the treasure of Jesus worth it? Yes. Obviously, even even the powerful and glorious heavenly realm exalts, praises, and treasures the Savior. Lastly, is the treasure of Jesus worth it? Yes. Why? Because he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Y'all didn't hear me. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you. At this point in our story, Jesus is, is still a helpless baby. He's fully reliant on on his earthly parents. He didn't come out with some sort of like miraculous powers to just get up and walk around and feed himself. He was dependent. He grew as a normal human being. And his, his earthly life will prove that he is the treasure that is worth it. He is the treasure that is worth dying to ourselves and running in haste after him urgently just as the shepherds showed us. And, and once they came announcing the sayings that, they were, that was given them by the angel, they, they had met the King of kings and Lord of lords in this, in this infant, and the text says this, Luke 2, 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard from the angels and seen with their eyes in the, in the baby Jesus. And it had been told them. What were they doing? Glorifying and praising God. God for the King of kings and Lord of lords who has come. Jesus is worth it because in his life, death, and I'll say this, and especially his resurrection, we have sufficient cause to realize that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. How do we know this? He's the only guy that I know of that said, I'm going to die, and on the third day, raised from the dead, and you want to know what happened? He did it. He accomplished it. Jesus is alive. I want to end with this. Another revelation granted to the Apostle John in 
in Revelation chapter 19. We'll look at verses 11, 13, and 16. Again, a vision that he's having. It says, Then then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called, notice how these are capitalized, faithful and true. Who's sitting on the horse? Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Notice this. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. This is cool. Check this out. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Again, king of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.